Easter, everyone. Happy Easter, Easter. Ethan. Ethan. <laughs> he is risen. Just me. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're uh, here. We blew off our all of our respective families. We blew off Easter dinner. To nice. said no, we gotta yeah. sit down and uh, reclaim a dumped A twenty four movie for uh, thirty to forty minutes. Are we gonna reclaim it? <laughs> Well, you'll just have to find out. <laughs> no one else wants to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we are discussing today um, the straight-to-VOD release. Well, <laughs> not counting a few theaters in New York and L.A. Uh, Under the Silver Lake, uh, which a movie I've ever seen a trailer for a year ago. Yeah. And uh, has uh, had a long, bumpy path to uh, torrent sites everywhere. Yeah. Well, from what I understand, it hit torrent sites a while ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it came out uh, in August in France and then shortly after in Belgium and other areas. So uh, by the time, I mean, within four to six months, it just popped up online because it came on VOD in those countries. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And uh, it also premiered at Cannes where it was met with kind of middling reviews, I want to say. And... Uh, it was interesting watching the distributor A24 slowly lose confidence in the movie. Originally, it was slated for June, right after Cannes, then to December for some reason, yeah. then to April, and then from April to VOD. Yeah. December is a weird one. I know. It's like, it was never going to be an awards contender. Yeah, I, I think like they were just officially trying to dump it at the point. <laughs> they were like self-sabotaging or something. But... I mean, we're here talking about the movie today. Uh, Should I discuss what it's about? And by that, mean read the synopsis written by A24 and IMDb. Uh, Sam Andrew Garfield (laughs) is a disenchanted 33-year-old who discovers a mysterious woman, Sarah Riley Keough, frolicking in his apartment swimming pool. When she vanishes, Sam embarks on a surreal quest across Los Angeles to decode the secret behind her disappearance leading him into the murkiest depths of mystery, scandal, conspiracy in the city of Angels. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good... Yeah. Maybe it doesn't quite... um, I don't know. The movie's going for, like, a a weird vibe, Mm -hmm. I guess I would say. And it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. Well, you know, 220, (laughs) and without credits, it's about 210. So, you know, you're you're not quite in and you're out. But it's not a a slog. I don't think it's a slog. No, it definitely isn't. It's, It's... Pacing wise, it's it's fine. It has a kind of episodic quality, which makes yeah. it easier to go through because he's just kind of running back and forth from one weird digression, mm-hmm. sort of that could not be a digression. Who knows to the other? <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, it's got. Um, in that sense, it has very deep pension vibes. Uh, specifically, the crying of all forty nine. It draws a lot from that and the sort of absurdist quest. I gotta say, I was. It would be very on brand for me to uh, like mm. a two and a half hour like epic absurdist movie set in Los Angeles. Yeah. but I, it wasn't quite there for me. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons we picked this movie is because, as you said, it looks like it had that Southland Tales <laughs> feeling. <laughs> well, I was watching it, and it particularly when when it got into the sort of conspiratorial stuff, I was like, no, this has that number twenty three feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that'll be a future episode. Yeah, it should be. It's. I mean, you bring the pinch up thing. I think this strangely uh, this movie's gotten a lot of comparisons to another film that was also at Cannes the same year Burning 
Uh, it's oh, yeah. been called a slacker noir. I'd like to call it a t-shirt noir. That's my <laughs> term. But actually, the films have sort of reminded me of really, I think it forms a strange trilogy with films from last year. I mean, are Ready Player One and Welcome to Marwin in terms of <laughs> films that are uh, to different degrees of uncomfortableness, uh, really going into male pathology, I find. <laughs> I think you could say that Ready Player One is the nicest and kindest Maybe uh, if you want to be generous, you can say, well, Pnamar one is actually the hardest and, you know, most damning. And this is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that's... I don't know. I think a lot of movies are about male pathology. <laughs> <laughs> I picked those three. Um, the only three films. <laughs> uh, but I remember, like, you sort of don't understand what's motivating... Uh, the Garfield character until... Lasagna. Lasagna. <laughs> Not Mondays. <laughs> Tuesday through Sunday. Yeah, uh, until like... <laughs> or pizza in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a dog killer or something. Yeah, Odie. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you sort of don't understand what's motivating him until like more than halfway through the movie. And I wonder if that's sort of like a mistake because at the very end of it I feel like you're supposed to be kind of emotionally devastated by like... Mm-hmm the final revelation mm-hmm. and that just wasn't like it was yeah. it was very flat to me well i think maybe a reason why this movie got kind of middling reviews is well i mean you can say enough that it's maybe not coming at the right moment politically but i think the thing is the fact that the movie doesn't really punish his character and is you could say a little sympathetic towards yeah. him yeah. is what i think maybe got this movie into a little bit of hot water yeah but I sort of like that the movie, in a way I like that it has its cake and eat it, it eats it too, like where I feel like not a lot of movies from this point on in history are going to do that, whereas everything is going to have this, you know, stone-faced, uh, this is about toxic masculinity kind of quality <laughs> to it. And I kind of like that this movie is, like I said, about male pathology, but it's sort of pervy at the same time. Yeah, there needs a, there's this weird thing where it's like when people complain about these films, it's, it's the implication that there needs to be, like, a balance, so it's like, yes, you can have, you know, you can portray these, let's say, I guess this sound like, massages, whatever, but you need to make it very explicit mm-hmm. that, one, this is yeah. wrong, and two, yeah. you need to punish, you know, like, you need to show this by, like, punishing the person mm-hmm. who's misogynist, or uh, making some sort of, like, meta meta reference in a mm-hmm. way to, to, like, kind of let viewers know, like, hey, listen, like, mm-hmm. we are telling you, which is stupid in my eyes, but... It's uh, literally, like, production code like, it, it was if you have a bad character, they need to be punished in the mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's this weird, like, desire, like, this this desire. It's like, there are, there are people are, like, terrified that if you do not, like, see this person being punished... Then Trump will get a second Exactly, yeah. like, then you'll see, like, someone just sit there, someone's gonna sit there and be like, oh my god, I can do this. It's like, no. Well, I think this movie tries to sort of cover its ass with one scene, a scene involving a drone spying on a woman, where yeah. you see her begin to cry, but I, not to say that that scene is disingenuous, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's representational of what the movie is really no. doing overall. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, and I mean, even watching, I mean, I wasn't, like... Topher Grace had a cool hat, though. He is so oh, perfectly God. cast as yeah. a fedora dude. Oh, my God. He's like, I, I don't know what we can call the Grace Renaissance, the Grace the Grace note. The topher But I feel like this and Black Klansman are such good... Like, he's so yes. well used in both those movies. His just natural milk toast quality is, I feel like, so... I get so... I remember I was just like... Topher Grace is a weird one where I get like... 
annoyed, like visibly annoyed if I see him show up in a movie. So I saw him and I was just like, fuck, like, <laughs> God damn it. And like, I had that, I had that reaction with, uh, Interstellar when he showed up yeah. as like the fucking dweeby dude. And then, uh, but this one, yeah, it's like, I realized in 2018, like he was just playing like really shitty, boring ass dudes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, I think he's found his groove. He's, he's getting typecast <laughs> yeah. correctly yeah. now. <laughs> Although he seemed... Like, he, he, he was well cast in that character, but isn't he, like, in his 40s now? Like, yeah, well, yeah. there's a lot of dudes in L.A. just spinning their wheels wearing hats. I think that's when people get into their hat phase. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were we talking about before Topher Grace? <laughs> He's that powerful. Like the movie, we've He's gone powerful. down all these rabbit holes, I feel like. So I guess we should, like, maybe set up, like, why it's an odd movie, mm-hmm. or, like, it, how the oddness comes about. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the film is trying to be about white male privilege or entitlement or toxic masculinity or misogyny and all those things but also it's trying to be about pop culture i feel like very yeah. specifically yeah. also about los angeles sort of like a history of the, not a history of the city but about kind of the the evil under the surface so to speak i mean maybe he los, rips off the vertigo score right I'm, i think if, so if one I'm point. Not wrong, yeah, like the like artist uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so he uh it begins with him uh spying on a neighbor who is a, uh, a middle-aged hippie woman, topless with her parrot, and then uh, eventually spying on another neighbor who is a young, uh, attractive woman uh, by the pool. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Why am I? This is too granular. But uh, anyway, so he he gets into a little fling with that woman, and then the next day she has disappeared completely, mm-hmm. uh, and that sets off this quest, which has a lot of twists and turns and dead ends Mm -hmm. uh and it goes in some very strange places Mm -hmm. and i i think i would sort of describe this movie as a likable bozo of a movie (laughs) in a way (laughs) and that i don't think its ideas are necessarily that interesting on their own but i find the movie's ambition and verve pretty charming in its own way even if again you are being locked inside the mind of a very unpleasant character in some ways and I guess that's why I'm, I guess I'm sort of sympathetic to some of the bad reviews and that I can understand that's not a pleasant place to be for two hours and 20 minutes inside this character's head, I guess. I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a bad person, but I, <laughs> yes. I didn't, that wasn't my problem with the movie. If anything, I just felt like it didn't sort of go far enough. Uh, and it, as you said, it was trying to have its cake and eat it too. Uh, eat it too. Yeah. But like, I, I wanted it to be a little more weird and a little more like brave in the decisions that it mm-hmm. made. Because uh, half of this movie could just be like an indie movie, and then the other mm-hmm. half is, is, you know, it doesn't get to Southland Tales level crazy. But <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, yeah. there is one scene that's maybe the most embarrassing, but also most audacious scene in the movie. The scene with the songwriter, yes. a guy in Trash Humpers. Which makeup. I think is the best part of the movie yeah yeah and, <laughs> yeah and let's just say it ends with someone's head being bashed into yeah. the guitar but the premise of that scene is that he uh he decodes number 23 style <laughs> uh a song by a father john misty style like a hipster songwriter um and it has a code and then he discovers from father john misty who's i get his name's actually jesus in the movie <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, uh, it was actually written by this guy, uh, who is, like, this old white man living in a, a mansion that is literally a matte painting <laughs> in the movie, so he's got a, like, Wizard of Oz vibe yeah. as he walks towards it, uh, and then you discover that this person has written every popular song, <laughs> every jingle, every bit of pop culture, uh, and I think that's, like, 
in approaching like what the movie's aiming for, I think that's the most effective scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And because he is a character who has a Kurt Cobain poster on his wall. Yeah. And just to be told, I guess, in that uh, like Nirvana is is something corporate, something yeah. that's not rebellious is, mm-hmm. I guess, devastating to him. <laughs> um, which actually recalls, because, like, if you read uh, Capitalist Realism, Mark Fisher has a bit on how Kurt Cobain was, like, effective as a voice of rebellion because he knew his rebellion was useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, like, a sort of a, a, the final cry of, like, a counterculture was mm-hmm. grunge. Uh, and I think that sort of comes out, although the movie also appears to be, like, two decades too late to make yeah. that point. <laughs> it, it's easy you bring up this. I didn't pick up on this watching the movie. Maybe you two did, and I'm just stupid. But the movie is set in 2011. Oh, I'm I, trying I to explain if there's something kind of conspicuous about that, and it's like a kind of early Obama era, like, I want to say almost pre-political correctness kind of era. I don't maybe, know. If I'm not sure. Proto-QAnon? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe just like he didn't want to get into any Trump stuff. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it, this is still in the, you know, pseudo-end of history. Well, <laughs> well, I think maybe it's because, yeah, again, we're in... And thinking about Los Angeles, I mean, maybe what's more interesting about Los Angeles is a city and keeps bringing people back, despite the fact, I mean, besides the fact that everyone lives there, obviously, uh, in the creative industry, is LA's sort of, uh, like I said, that evil under the surface quality. Where, so I think when people talk about Manhattan today, it's kind of, again, the very mask-off quality that the class difference in New York is so evident. And, like, it's such a joke about how expensive... New York is and how it's just the rich people's playground where I feel like LA because it's so spread out still has this kind of deceptive progressive quality to it that yeah, maybe I I, th- I think yeah I mean I'm I don't know his whether or not David Robert Mitchell has his own connection to LA personally but LA it seems to be like the it's an ideal location yeah to, to see like the underground, like the, the seedy underbelly, the kind of like machinations, and I think it also ties into with the creative industry. There's kind of a mystery that goes on with that mm-hmm. as well. You know, we don't see how the sausage is made with mm-hmm. a lot of these things, and people, you know, people would just appear like an artist, like say Jesus, <laughs> like suddenly just appear out of Jesus nowhere. Jesus and his brides, is and, that the name? Yeah. yeah, that's something where I felt like maybe the writer was a little out of touch, or that <laughs> that didn't. It's Silver Sun Pickups is who's playing. Who I feel like even in like 2010 was kind of out of fashion. They were like in Guitar Hero Two or something. Yeah, well, I mean, it's conspicuous. Uh, that like all of the music and all of the popular culture mm-hmm. is very white because mm-hmm. I kept I was secretly hoping when the old man was like just singing all these popular yeah, yeah. songs they were all by white artists and they have to be I guess yeah. uh, but like I just thought it would have been really funny if he started like rapping for God <laughs> <Yeah. the rap. laughs> then this movie would have had that DMX feel. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I agree with you on like uh, I agree with you on like it didn't go as far as it should have I think like if it was going down the experience I think the songwriter scene is the only part where I felt like okay this is kind of how to a lesser extent the Patrick Fischler scene which is very just obviously his like shout out to Mulholland Drive but um it, it's I I kind of wish that but I think with the other stuff especially with the like the whole thing of like the women and uh the treatment of them and how they're all just kind of like very minor characters and don't have much to them um a lot of that just kind of wasn't interesting to me mm-hmm. in the slightest and I think it is just a matter of like yeah it might just be the timing of this and like mm-hmm. this film just feels a little too late and that I think people are generally exhausted or just not really caring about 
like this type of character or this mm -hmm. type of thing. They're just like we've seen it. I had this kind of a same reaction to Burning, where I just was like, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's well made, but I didn't really have interest in what it, the, yeah, the, same, this character they're exploring. So um, that was kind of a thing. I mean, on the other hand, it has a level of let's say ambition. I talked to a friend about this before in our argument. We we disagreed because I liked the film more than they did, but the argument was basically. Um, it swings really hard, and it was just mm. basically whether or not um, if it misses as hard as it swings. <laughs> and um, I would say a little half and half. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of admire the I admire it. It's I think back to um, Andrew Arnold of all people said this in 2010 or 11. She saw the jury at Cannes, and they talked about the Carlos Vergara movie post neighbors mm -hmm. looks and. She was just like it dared to fail. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's the term I always think of with movies like this, where at least it, it like it dares to fail, yeah. it dares to go yeah. there. Yeah, and I think that's a quality with age. I find more, I value more in movies where, yeah. like something like you said, Burning, a movie that's very well made and smart, but I don't think arrives at a very interesting conclusion. And am I just supposed to pat it on the back for yeah. getting where it set out to go? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I. I mean, I. I admire Southland Tales probably too much, but uh, <laughs> you know, I really film. admire about that movie is that Richard Kelly could have done like anything he wanted after mm. Donnie Darko and he decided to make that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is, again, the follow-up to yeah, It, it follows, follows, which was a big crossover hit. And this is also like a cashing all my chips movie. But the thing is, is because this, that, It Follows, and his previous film, The Myth of the American Sleepover, I don't think anyone would call those films films of ideas. Like, yeah. they're just kind of formerly interesting movies where this is like my well I've got something to say movie yet at the no, same time it follows as a film of ideas you know? it's a film of allegories I guess yeah, I mean, but like, I feel like it, with that movie it's so it's so vague with that movie that it's very it's very it's scalable I don't know if that's the right word but you can just kind of apply anything apply, like, to lots it. of yeah, innocence yeah. the HIV scare because <laughs> yeah. like, you apply like so much to that and I mean it's yeah but this Detroit. is Detroit like, yeah. yeah I would agree with you in that like Whereas, uh, well, I can't speak to his first film, but for It Follows, it just, to me, felt like a more adult Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Yeah. Which is fine. I, I enjoy that. But, like, this is one where, yeah, it definitely feels like him trying to, like, I am now putting on my auteur hat. Like, yeah, I yeah. am doing this. And I don't, yeah, and I don't think it's especially successful in that, but it's, like, there are parts of it where it's, like, I can I can see, like, this flicker where it's, like, you know, there, there's some movies where you can watch and you're, like, okay... You know, I think you could maybe make, like, a great movie, but mm -hmm. this isn't it, <laughs> you know? It also, it feels a little suspicious that this came out so uh, shortly after Inherent Vice, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of similarities, at least structurally, between yeah, the two movies. Well, I, I, yeah, well, I again read an interview with Mitchell. He said he wrote it in 2012, but, I mean, okay. the book Inherent yeah. Vice was out there, so. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and, I mean, like, it's it's making very clear references to The Crime of Law 49, so obviously he's a pension fan, but uh, I, I wasn't a particularly huge fan of Inherent Vice either, and I, I don't know, there's something, I think with the main character especially, his motivations and just his sort of inner life are undefined, at least mm -hmm. for the first half of the movie, in a way that kind of prevents involvement with it, mm -hmm. uh, and I think... That's something that can work in a novel, but it's hard to make that work in a film. Mm -hmm. And I think both of those movies <laughs> suffer because of mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, and that that makes the first half of the movie feel like this sort of like series of things that happen, and mm -hmm. they can be fun to watch, like um, going to the comic artist's house yeah, and, yeah. and seeing like the weird masks of like, yeah. everybody. And and there's like very there's definitely like thoughts going on in mm -hmm. there, but it, it just sort of prevents 
I don't know, any kind of involvement. I, I do think it's helped by Andrew Garfield, someone I kind of run hot and cold on as an actor, but I think he actually is very good in this. He's very funny, and I think he does bring a little more to the movie that at least yeah. gave me... I enjoyed laughing at him, at least. I just don't like Andrew Garfield. No, no. <laughs> I hate to, like, it's, it's at a point now where I'm just like, no, I just don't like him at all. Like, just I just don't enjoy it. It's, it's the Greg Kinnear thing for me, where just, mm-hmm. I just, every time I see this person on screen, I'm like, no, no I no. can't. Barry Pepper, Greg Kinnear. <laughs> really? That's a weird selection. It's a people. weird. It's I have no. I have no explanation for why there are just certain actors where I see. I'm just like, no, I will not. I will not enjoy it. I will not enjoy you. It's Topher Grace also. Is, yeah. So I had a twofer in, in this. A twofer Topher. A twofer Topher. <laughs> I. This is the first Garfield performance where I didn't feel like he was giving off like a deep aw shucks vibe. Yeah. Uh, like the hacksaw ridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, this seemed like his decision to make, like, I guess, a serious, or do, like, a serious role, and I guess probably didn't turn out to him. No. Well, no, he's done Oscar movies his whole career. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, I mean, it's also... <laughs> he's still got that Spider-Man money probably coming, and he's... Fine. Oh, he he was, like, devastated over Spider-Man. Like, someone interviewed him about, I forget, Silver Lake or another movie, yeah. and, and he, like, legitimately was, like, started crying when they talked about Spider-Man, how that, like, <laughs> ended for him. Like, yeah. he was devastated... And I'm just like, I mean, that that's probably also feeds into why I just do not, like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just saying they're just breaking into tears. He's so like, and then, yeah, but um, I don't know. More like Chris Evans, who clearly just does it for the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so he can start his political website. <laughs> the majority of Americans are Americans. <laughs> Out of curiosity, has anyone been watching uh, the Gregor Rackey TV show, Now Apocalypse? no. It's pretty similar to this, actually. I'd recommend checking. But I mean, if you like Greg Araki, like with that caveat, like actually, yeah. now that you mention him, like Kaboom has a, a similar structure, although a much lower budget. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, I think that does it better. <laughs> better <laughs> a way like better Kaboom. ending. <laughs> yeah, I like Kaboom. Uh, so, in closing, uh, <laughs> I'm reading off my notepad here. Um, I liked it. <laughs> I like your notes. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. A thumbs up. Yeah. I, I I liked it more than I disliked it, but it's a very flawed movie. Okay, I'm I'm sort of so so on it. Yeah. I think the the problem is that it it has uh, aspirations of having that DMX. Feeling, yeah, yeah, but, but it doesn't buy it. Yeah, it, it has the it's got that like uh, Cameron feeling. <laughs> yeah, it knows what it is, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't feel it. it doesn't really try. Well, trust me. Watch a few more shitty movies this year, and you'll like it more. That's my prediction. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, look at the, who, look, I think those people who end up getting screwed over by Disney are okay, because Phil Lord and Chris Miller just won an Oscar for that Into the Spider Verse crap. So, oh, <laughs> shots fired. They're all good. <laughs> I, you know, what? I like liked Into the Spider Verse, but it's like I'm sort of baffled by the enthusiasm people have for it, because like at the end of the day, it's still a movie for babies. 
that doesn't mean, that's not the issue. I just thought it was yeah. just like, it was just like, oh, it was just commodity. Like, that was just running through my head for some reason. Yeah, I just like, I've seen like people like log it. It's like, this is my third time seeing it. I've just, I noticed new things this time. I'm like, it's a fucking movie for kids. Like, like yeah, I, I watched that and I am a huge fan of like Lord and Miller typically, but they're, it's just awful. I'm involved with really. Uh, I think they co-wrote and okay. did production. They they were co-directed. Maybe I they weren't. I thought I they were more they directed because that's the one thing I did listen to was the movies that made us with the director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knew his stuff? I gotta say, mm. but yeah, I don't know. Well, they're smart guys, but typically they suck when they do franchises or sequels. <laughs> yeah. that's usually but oh, well. Twenty two Jump Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, I feel like there was something I was gonna bring up. Let me just like look at my. You too were going to bring up Ryan Johnson. I was. I had a <laughs> note about Manson in the summer of '69, but I don't feel like that wasn't really. The Brian Cranston story where he encountered Charles Manson when he was a kid. What? You never I mean, heard of that? No. Brian Cranston one time said on Twitter he was just like, I was a kid and I like was basically offered to be a part of like Manson's cult and mm. I said no. Like he told this like story out of nowhere. I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> I fucking hate Brian. <laughs> we should have talked about. We should have talked. It's it's you know that's so weird because we were just talking about Brian. my friend went to New York and he saw uh, Network because yeah, Brian Cranston yeah. is playing Howard Beale in that and then he was like uh, and, and he fucking hates Brian Cranston but he was just like he's like he did good like he was yeah. just he was like he was like admitting he's good but I'm just like yeah I'm like I'm like that's because he yells like he's yeah. good at yelling <laughs> yeah that's his thing <laughs> but yeah a total actor who just like did Breaking Bad and then just after I was just like. He's not good. <laughs> I sound like an exception. He's like a 60 year old theater kid. Yeah, like pretty the, much. That's yeah. the vibe he gives yeah. off. I sound like, like he was doing an acceptance speech in an award show. I think he played like Lyndon Johnson in a TV movie. Yes, and he, he was like doing an impression of Lyndon Johnson talking to Trump. I'm like, fucking kill me. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's it's a combination. It's like it's this weird. That's thing. like the Jeff Daniels uh, from the network yeah. t- uh, Twitter account. Yeah. Oh, the, <laughs> the, the newsroom. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, from the newsroom. I remember this thing. I forget who said it, but it was just like, I didn't see... Should I turn this off? Yeah. Yeah, I'll put some of that. 